Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have in the studio with me Marihet Tapan. Marihet is Africa's first certified financial transitionist and has been a role model for a lot of financial advisors, myself included. Marihet, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's a pleasure being here and I want to firstly congratulate you uh, on being, I think, the third uh, financial uh, transitionist planner uh, in Africa. And uh, I am so excited to grow this community um, and to, yeah, to find out, you know, how meaningful uh, this is in your practice and how do you do it. So, well done. Well done. Thank you, Mariette. I'm looking forward to today's conversation because I think we can go into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of what a certified financial transitionist does and how it came about and the work that uh, Susan Bradley has brought to Africa. But before we get there, we'd like to have a little bit of a backstory of how Mariette got into financial services. Louis, it's that old story, and I think uh, people that might have heard me talk previously would know that uh, this was going to be the last thing that I do. But they say never, say never. Uh, and um, I think it just it boiled down to uh, the, the, the fact that um, I was in transition at that point in time. You know, I had um, had my first child. And um, the, the partner that we were, uh, that was that I was working for in the firm, passed away. So you know we, um, um, but yeah. So it was actually my advisor that said to me, Langhoff. He called me that, and <laughs> so he says, "You will be a very good advisor." Uh, and uh, so I went for interviews with a couple of firms, and I then, um, yeah, the first of July, nineteen ninety-three, I joined Liberty in a career I said I would never pursue. And now, 30 years later, uh, I would say that um, the, the industry served me well. Um, it has kept me humble and uh, I've learned a lot about people. And I think every, every financial advisor that, I, that I've worked with or from of my colleagues, one of the main reasons I think we join the industry is because we care about people. You know, we are 
we're people's people. That's definitely a theme that we've heard quite a few of the guests talk about, you know, that caring gene and how it's important to focus on the human side. So within the Financial Transitionist Institute, we focus quite a bit on not only the technical side, but also the personal side of financial planning. What was that kind of pulling magnet for you towards that? Or how did you stumble upon the Transitionist Institute to begin with? I think as financial planners, we tend to have conversations with our clients and we deal with quite a lot of what's going on in their, in their lives. But I think formally, we haven't you know, upskilled ourselves to really uh, talk to our clients during very difficult uh, situations. And, and, you know, mostly clients approach us when there's, when there's a life change. Either there's a death in the family or there's a retirement or there's a sale of a business or there's a divorce or there's a new child. And um, so in my case, you know, I dealt with five, uh, five people that died, uh, you know, in my client base. And, and I just thought that there should be, you know, I can do better than, than just, you know, going to them with, okay, well, you know, you're going to be okay with your finances. And, you know, let's starting about that. Because I found that they were not in a good space. And sometimes I didn't know what to tell them. And I didn't know how to have the conversation. Um, so I decided that um, I wanted to be more for my clients. And then I stumbled across the... Uh, you know, the organization through the Strength Finder Gallup uh, uh, meeting, which we had. And that was, uh, it was like I found home because it's really something I think the industry is lacking uh, is that extra set of skills, uh, skills that we need uh, because we, you know, when you work with people and money, uh, it is the behavior towards money that actually moves them in the direction uh, and may, uh, help them make decisions or might it be good or bad? Uh, but, you know, I was adamant that I wanted to have better tools to be able to, you know, to have these conversations and move my clients to make better decisions. So, Marietta, are you saying that, you know, during times when someone might not fit in the normal financial planning process, we need to bring in other tools to work with them? You know, Mitch Anthony talks about up to 53 different life transitions that someone can go through. But what you're saying is that these people might not be ready for the normal financial planning process. Am I getting that right? That's true. And as planners, we are we want to solve. We immediately want to jump in and you know uh, talk about the best uh, plan, the best solution. We want to we want to do the business. You know that is how you know uh, previously that is how well that's how I learned. You know you have to write a certain amount of cases. You have to do this. You have to. You have to perform. Well, we want, we need to or want to or had to perform. The client sometimes, you know, is not ready to, you know, to do what we want them to do. And sometimes, uh, you know, we don't listen to what they actually really need. And, um, you know, we might be instrumental to, you know, that client leading us at the end of the day because, you know, we, we don't really sit down and find out what is actually happen, happening in their life. Um, and I think in doing so, we, we do the client injustice. We do our, our I would say, our industry um, of what we need to do. We do it, it's, uh, you know, we don't get to the, the real point. So, yeah, a client might want, you know, do what you need to do for, for them. 
But I think if you take a step back and really put the client uh, on a pedestal and and listen to really what they want and what they don't want, it's also a very good way to to make sure that you land up with clients that is in your that is in your fit. You know, especially in the beginning, um, I think we land up with clients that we actually should not have. I want to talk a little bit more about that. You know, rushing into a relationship with a new client almost wanting to fix something because we have this tool set. Oh, Mr. Client, you need to invest in this portfolio. We can we can solve that. What's the antidote? How do we approach this better to determine a good financial planner and a client fit? I think you first have to know yourself well. You know, you have to decide um, what is your value system? What works for you? With who do you work best? And um, almost identify your ideal client. You know, might it be through a an interest that you have or might it be the way that you do things because we are all different and and I think that is what you know what makes relationships so unique is that um, you know people you know are normally drawn to somebody like you (laughs) but you know if you don't know um, what what is most important to you and with who do you want to work you will just uh, you know take on everybody and anybody uh, and just later on, you know, having the hardship of relationship doesn't, you know, that doesn't work or, uh, you know, misunderstanding and miscommunication. So, and I think then to to really have a, a, a format in, in which you have got your client interview, that you speak to them, ask them questions um, and really find out if, uh, I mean, these stick boxes that we all uh, can text and you, you, <laughs> we see the red flags, we feel them, and we still, you know, just go ahead uh, and 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 do things which we know at that point in time I shouldn't have I shouldn't have taken on this client or I shouldn't have written this policy. So I think one has got to really trust your gut feel, but I think know what you who you are, what you want, and who do you want to work with. Um, and uh, I never used a, a monetary criteria because I think although uh, money is important. Um, I think money always comes with the right actions. So, you know, that's uh, that's my take on that. But I think especially today where technology plays such a big role and clients can can find out, uh, you know, where to get what and do do things themselves, these conversations um, needs to be more and intense and, yeah, there must be a direction. There must be almost an agreement on – this is why we have a relationship, and I think our communication preference tool actually addressed that very, very well, uh, just by knowing, well, if the, the client wants detail and you're not a detailed type of person, something is not going to work along the line. So that being open and honest and having a conversation around what is the value that you bring, and is that a good match with your clients? In the early days of starting out as a financial advisor, were you forced to take on clients that you didn't want to, or were you in a position where you maybe just, you know, had to take them on because you had capacity? <laughs> I think when I started in the industry, it was like you uh, were too glad uh, to have a client, and you know, uh, <laughs> and if they say yes, it was a great thing. Um, well, I think the industry has changed a little bit, but in the beginning, I think one is a little bit forced to 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 take on businesses. It's also a, a learning curve. Um, you know, I think you don't know everything in the beginning. So I think it, it comes with trial and tribulation. But if I had to do my life over as a financial advisor, uh, I would I would walk I would have walked away from from all business. I actually did that, you know, after two years I had to clean up my act 
after I received a, a meager check of 123 rand and having to decide am I staying or going. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, you know, anybody that is new in the industry, uh, it's difficult to survive with the type of uh, remuneration system that we have. And I think if one upskill yourself with more conversational uh, and the behavioral side of finance, the neuroscience of finance, I think one, uh, the clients would value more to pay for a consultancy fee and not just only a uh, policy fee or a commission. I think Marie, that should maybe get rid of that. Thank you. How do you position your service to your clients now? What, what are the words that you use to describe what you do? You know, I think I do, I do things different in any event, you know. Um, so, you know, my message is subtle. In terms of, you know, um, I listen, I care, and, you know, I do have this extra skill and qualification that, that differentiate me from other financial advisors. But I think to be just yourself and uh, to show the interest uh, to the client that you, that you really mean that you've got their best interest at heart. And, you know, with their knowledge of the qualifications, because I think people need to know that there is that you need to know your things. You need to be well uh, educated in the technical side. But, um, you know, I think the the value of, I think, experience and then also um, other skills that you equip yourself with to show that you that you really mean that you want to help them in the best way that, that possible um, is, is how I position myself. Uh, I ask a lot of questions, and I don't necessarily in the beginning – uh, you know, show and show and tell all my qualifications. Uh, I get referred to uh, to clients most of the time, so I think that is also valuable. You know, one one is in the business so that you can that people can can tell their friends about you um, and the experience that they have. That's different. I love how you talk about you know the technical side, a wealth of experience. Because personally, I don't believe three years is sufficient to then you know just go out and become a financial planner, but then also the training on the human side. And now we have a few options. You know, we have George Kinder's registered life planning side. We have the Transitionist Institute. We have Money Quotient in America. Do you think there's sufficient options for someone once they've become a certified financial planner to kind of build their skills in, in the personal side? Yeah, sure. I, I, I do believe so. And I think there's more and more organizations, uh, you know, even some of the traditional organizations, which within um, the training material is is focusing more and realize that, uh, you know, the the way people um, do business and the way people think about finance and making financial decisions is changing. So, yeah, I think there's, there's, um, there's definitely, I think, where the – Transition Institute is a pioneer in the in, in this particular field of, of business. Um, a lot more attention is being given, and I'm very glad about that because um, I think it is just the right thing to do. <laughs> I think there's, you know the technical side is important, but people make wrong decisions. Yeah, it almost took a pandemic for us to realize how important this yeah. is and, and the kind of worth that we can bring to our clients. I want you to share a little bit of the actual process that you take a client through that's gone through a major life transition. What What is it that you do with them uh, if it's not the normal financial planning route? If I could take, well, just recent, uh, a recent example of a client that went through, uh, you know, transition in terms of, um, you know, a loved one passing away. 
I think we all, uh, you know, come to the appointment with uh, a feeling of empathy and a feeling of, uh, you know, I'm really, very sorry uh, about what happened to you, uh, but how can I help you next? So I think the uh, how I take my clients through the process is really just to be there for them and to listen and to let them tell them their story. Uh, also to monitor, you know, in what state are they, you know, because they could be um, really in a state of numbness, they could be in a state of fractured mindedness, and, you know, you want to make sure that the client is actually calm and that is part of the the most important work that we do is to you know, to really hold the client's heart at heart <laughs> and and listen to them and make them feel safe uh, in our conversation. Um, and then sometimes I would not even continue with the conversation, uh, you know, in terms of taking it further, but using, met- you know, methods uh, to naming and framing, uh, you know, to maybe address difficult things, uh, difficult uh, matters that needs to take place, like, for instance, a policy that needs to be or a form that needs to be completed. Uh, I would take them through a very short process of now, soon, and later, um, which really calms them down um, and, uh, you know, minimize the overwhelm that they might might feel. Uh, and then just hold their hand and be there for them. I would go back to the way that we've agreed we we will you know uh, communicate when 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 we meet. Uh, so these are, are you know and it depends very much on the client uh, where they are at. But I think the importance is uh, to get the client to be fully present and to get their cognitive thinking back to where it's supposed to be. So even though you might be listening quite a lot in this meeting and you might be quiet underneath the surface, there's a lot going on. You're monitoring for that person's state, you're listening for the things that they might not be saying, you're looking for the things that they're avoiding. How's the Transitionist Institute help you to frame this and and bring structure to that? Well, the first thing is that uh, most financial planners and, you know, there's some research being done on that uh, talks too much. So I think the skill to to keep quiet and really listen with uh, the deep listening skills that, you know, that I've acquired um, is something... That, that has helped a lot because you listen to the things which is not said. And mostly, sometimes uh, the client doesn't even know that, that you know, some underlying other, you know, things that keeps them up at night. Um, they don't sometimes think about it. So you have to, you really have to give them the time uh, to, and, you know, through questioning to let them also, you know, think about those uh, things that, that is really bother, bothering them and, um while I think we do active listening as financial planners mostly, uh, the the deep listening skills by by having these awkward, quiet moments really gives the client time to also think about what what we're talking about, and um, some valuable uh, information uh, you know comes out in, in that process, because that actually gives you an anchor as to how you then solve for the, the you know the the issues that you hear. And sometimes, as I say, uh, while having this conversation, the client actually discovers some of the things which they, you know, would not normally think about, but um, it comes to the surface. It's, it's there, but, you know, by verbalizing certain things, I would say we're therapist in that sense of way, but, you know, when you talk about things and when you voice them, um, it becomes clear. You get a certain amount of clarity about 
your feelings or, you know, what you want to do. So I think that has helped. And uh, you have uh, just recently that completed your training would know that that uh, part of the exam where you are part of a deep listening uh, uh, process is daunting. <laughs> because, I mean, even myself and, uh, uh, you know, uh, when you have these deeper conversations with clients, uh, things can become uncomfortable. But I am a strong believer that if you do not get to the bottom line of why a person is making certain decisions, then how can you get the advice to stick like Moira Summers, uh, you know, talks about in her book? Um, and, and I think it's mostly to do with the fact that we, we, we assume sometimes or we don't get to the real bottom line of, of a reason. It could, you know, it, it, it could be... Uh, it could be many things. Mariette, for advisors that might be struggling you know, to keep quiet, what are the tips that you can maybe share with them to start the process of engaging or listening at a deeper level? Yeah, <laughs> I think it is just to keep, to, to keep quiet and to hold those, uh, you know, those uh, quiet, quiet moments. Uh, and, uh, you know, take a deep breath. You know, breathing is a very good uh, technique. And I think to be um, practicing mindfulness uh, before you go into a meeting with a client to make sure that you are uh, absolutely tuned into uh, the, the, the meeting, you know, the client, uh, to check in with yourself, you know, how are you feeling, you know, in what space are you? Because sometimes, uh, you know, we could have had a difficult conversation before we meet with a client or we could just have a bad day. So I think, you know, just to, to really check in with, you know, how do you, how do, you know, are you, are you fully present and, uh, you know, are you 100% focused on the client and then having to ask the right questions and be very curious about the client's situation uh, will, will help, you know, it has helped me. Um, and then to, um, you know, to, to really be empathetic. I mean, the one's body language, you've got to check in and you can see what is the client like and and even if we use zoom no i, I don't think that uh, one uh, you know one can still be very aware of the client's body language and the client's state of mind when you meet i love how you started off saying just do it <laughs> but then actually <laughs> there's these uh, these real practical things and it reminds me of advisors and you know people in general that are suffering from burnout we're not creating enough space we're not practicing enough self-care what are the things that Mariette does to, you know, to practice self-care that you can maybe share with us uh, as a guideline for other financial advisors? Well, I think, well, the, the, what has helped me a lot is, you know, to do mindful practice, uh, you know, on a regular basis. And, you know, the self-care that we, that we can do is we need to sleep. Uh, everybody would tell you that. Uh, you need to sleep. You need to eat well. You need to do your exercises. You need to breathe. Uh, meditation is a great uh uh, a great way to, uh, you know, to be forcing yourself uh, into a space of calm. Um, and uh, I walk a lot. I, I love the outdoors. So, you know, just by taking a mindful walk for 20 minutes uh, when you feel it's just too much, or on a daily basis, but actually taking more regular breaks during the day, uh, especially if you have a, a very very loaded day, I think, you know, one has got to realize that our bandwidth uh, with this COVID and with 
dealing with a lot of uncertainty and changes and challenges um, has uh, really had an impact on one. Um, and I can say very, very honestly that, um, you know, yeah, these, these days we, my, my bandwidth is just absolutely depleted. So yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I do. Um, I'm a spiritual person. So, you know, those are things that, that helps me a lot to, to also, and, and gratefulness is a huge thing. You know, I think one has got to wake up in the morning and even during the day, just find something to really be grateful for. Um, and then to reflect. Um, I think we tend to just, you know, take the one day after the other day after the other day. And I think we need to stand still and ask ourselves, okay, well, so what worked well for me today? What didn't go so well? Uh, what am I going to do tomorrow to, to make it better? And I think the, the tiny habits that one gets to um, adopt is what makes you different. Uh, and there's some good habits and there's some bad habits. So but I think to to actually you know, just be aware of the things that um, that is not making you the best you that you can be and to take the time to, you know, to, to do a little bit of inner research um, will make you a better, you will just, I, you know, I think that I would just rock up, I rock up there as a better person for my client uh, instead of being tired and frustrated and actually, yeah. So that's, um, I think one, one has got to watch yourself. Yeah, it's this foundation of almost wellness and, you know, flourishing so that you can become a better person, but then at the same time, a better financial advisor or financial planner for your clients. In um, in our industry or in finance, uh, we have to remember that this is just one of many parts that will make you flourish in terms of your well-being. And a lot is being said nowadays also, uh, you know, about financial wellness and well-being. And there's a difference between the two. So um, I think as I, I talk to my clients certainly about the wheel of life and about all the other aspects of their lives because the one impacts the other. So unfortunately or fortunately for us that is in the industry that one of the biggest aspects uh, that impacts on one's life is money. So I think what we do uh, for our clients um, is exceptionally important. Um, and, you know, coming back to, to then to the human side of, uh, of, uh, of financial planning and how we can better impact the financial decisions that clients make and even having the conversations about money, which a lot of people steer away from. Mariette, how do we keep our boundaries when it comes to clients? You know, a lot of this work, it feels like the clients can become really dependable or dependent on us as financial advisors to make decisions on their behalf, to do things, you know, uh, and sometimes we could cross those boundaries. Tell us a little bit how you have managed to, you know, control the boundaries. Well, I think the the protocol that I've learned from the Institute uh, by, you know, calming the client down and secondly, giving the client an overview, a good overview after they've calmed down and sat down with them and then to start with the planning process when they are ready is actually to give the work back to them. You know, they, they need to go and do certain things. They need to go and... Um, think about the plan. So I, there's a few things that I think one normally did for the client and you want to really be the, you know, be, be everything for your client. But I think the importance to, to make the client part of the planning process and giving 
then the responsibility about their own money um, is uh, what you know what what can, what will definitely create those boundaries because um, you know so I think um, I've in sometimes uh, thought to myself you know I think I do care more for my client for this particular client that they care for themselves and I think we 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 feel that way because you know we're so passionate about what we do and uh, we can see that there's a problem and every time we get to the client. Uh, you know, the situation is just the same or it's deteriorated and, uh, you know, we want to solve for that again and we, we want to actually go out of what we are actually supposed to be doing. But it brings me back to the previous uh, conversation that or the previous point that we spoke about and that is that you've got to know uh, what, what, you know, you've got to position yourself uh, well with a client. What do I do and what do you do? And uh, what is expected of uh, you know of, of of both of us because we are in a relationship. Uh, it's not just a one-sided uh, thing, yeah. So I think those conversations with the clients is actually very important, you know, upfront and after concluding a particular, call it a, a change of life situation. Is you know this is what happened, you know, this is what we. Uh, what I'm going to do next, and that is what you need to do next, um, and you know, keep the ca- the client accountable, but also obviously yourself accountable. But um, so yeah, I think we must we must do less. We must give advice, but the client must do also. The client must do more. I think a lot of this comes with experience. It comes with knowing, okay, what are the proper boundaries? What is my role as an advisor? What am I doing? What am I not doing? Because at the beginning of my career, I mean, I certainly felt like I want to do as much as possible because I don't want to have a client uh, say no, you know, and just getting comfortable knowing what it is that I need to spend my time on uh, has really been valuable for me. Yeah, but it, uh, I think it comes down to that first appointment or that conversation where you really get to know the client, uh, and um, you know the three questions uh, that that uh, that we, uh, you know, that helps us uh, in that conversation is you know what do you want to protect most, and if you've had if you have that conversation about knowing what the client wants to protect, you know you can also build into that conversation. Uh, and you and you then know, know what is what is what what is important for the client. So if you're then talking about the boundaries, uh, it is easy to refer back to what is most important and what you want to protect most. So you can quickly um, you know enforce those boundaries because you know what is then uh, important. And then the next question would be, what do you need to let go of? So by asking that question. You then, uh, once again, it's a boundary question. You know, have you kept to that? What do you need to? What doesn't serve you anymore when you went through this transition? And uh, what is what did you what did you leave? It might be leaving a house. It might be letting go of a uh, of of a relationship or letting go of whatever it is. But you know, it it it, it keeps the conversation and the boundaries intact with what is important to the client. And, uh, you know, then the third question would be, what do you want to create more? And what do you need to create anew? So once again, if you, if you know those, the answer to those questions and you've gone through a very good conversation with your client, you can say, hey, you know, uh, but this wasn't what you told me you were going to do or implement. Uh, and it is then uh, not, you know, it's, it's not a, a sort of like a, 
you're not a, a judge, but you are with them in this process. Yeah, almost a support and not just an accountability partner, someone that's going to help you and guide you through that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because how do you, how do you get to where you want to be? There's always certain things that, that you need to put in place and there's a price to pay for everything. And, you know, you need to be um, having these conversations because otherwise how do you keep the boundaries? This type of work must take up a lot of time and a lot of energy. And like we said, you need to prepare for it. You can't just, you know, show up. How do we balance serving a client base, but yet also do this work and be available for clients when they need us? That is a difficult question um, because I think depending on the type of uh, personality and person that we we're all different, as I said in the beginning. But I think uh, that the, the type of work that we do and a lot is being said about financial coaching and, you know, financial therapists and there's all sorts of names that is creeping up, you know, creep, uh, creeping up and that speaks to the time and effort that we put in uh, that needs to be remunerated in a different type of way. So I think the the a combination of consultancy fees and uh, assets under management is a way uh, to to monitor that um, because there's no other way. Our time is, uh, is, is valuable and the difference that we make is not tangible. So I think there's also a lot to say uh, about education and, uh, you know, for the, you know, to illustrate the value that the type of work that we do in addition to just making sure that the figures and the planning is correct um, is valued. And uh, people will be prepared to pay for it, but I think it's still, I think that is still um, not hundred percent where I think the industry is. So uh, I certainly will um, will try and make this uh, one of my I don't want to say missions, but uh, the communication about the value at the end of the day for helping clients making better decisions, and it is a different way of doing things, uh, and I think. There's a huge value to that because clients stick to the financial planning uh, in difficult times, in ups and downs, and um, you can't measure that with money. That's so true. I mean, a lot has been said about the value of advice, but we tend to measure it in basis points and we tend to measure it in investment performance, yet that's only one piece of financial planning and even a very small piece of someone's maybe life plan or transitionist plan. What do you see as the main value of, of advice? Well, let's take an example of wanting to buy a car. Everybody, or a lot of young of my young clients, uh, you know, when they get their first paycheck, they want to buy a car, or they, you know, it's buying a house, or you know, it's 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 a it's a financial commitment. The question then is, do I go and I walk into the first, uh, you know, first car dealer and you know buy the smartest best car, or do I have a conversation with, you know, somebody that has recently bought a car or a car dealer uh, principal that, that is um, really knowledgeable about the type of car that you buy. Um, at the end of the day, uh, if I just went into buying my car with my whims and wills, not uh, really finding out uh, the fuel consumption, the, the premiums in terms of insurance that I would have to pay, uh, the fact that the parts are very expensive. Um, 
at the end of the day, that would be um, it, it. I could have made a better decision by having a conversation with somebody that is knowledgeable that can show these blind spots uh, to me, which I, you know, haven't even thought about. Um, and in that process, help me maybe buy a different car that serves me better with maybe a better fuel consumption and uh, a better resale value. So I think financial advice is no different. Um, and uh, that is how I see it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't think about. But when you do speak to a, an advisor who is knowledgeable, uh, who has these conversations, finding out what is important to you, uh, can steer you in a direction which um, make a, which would make a difference and it can save you money or can get you to a place faster than maybe you could you would have done it in your uh, in your own. I love how you how you phrase that, Maria. It's not just about making a decision; it's making a decision that serves you best, one that's in your best interest. Even though you know you might still be the one making the decision, you have the support, you have the knowledge, you have someone shining a light on the blind spots. Yeah, I think it's really about the blind spots. And, yeah, you know, if uh, I think being authentic about what you know and what you don't know and then also feeling that uh, feel, feeling safe in a, you know, with uh, an advisor or with somebody that is knowledgeable, uh, you know, without feeling, oh, well, I don't know anything about this uh, and, you know, I'm, I, I might be scared to ask a, a, a silly question, and the terminology that we use in financial planning is, in any case, so uh, so confusing. Um, you know, so how do you how do you actually um, make it easy for the client to understand? Uh, you know, what uh, the value of this particular decision or this advice that you're giving them uh, would have for them on the longer term. I think that's also important that that you know the understanding. That we, you know, that we that we speak on a level, and we give advice, uh, so that uh, for that particular client who is maybe not so technical or not so knowledgeable, is meaningful, understandable, and uh, you know, educational. I would add digestible to that. <laughs> yes, as well. So, Mariette, you recently moved to Advice Works after a very long time with Liberty Life. Tell us about the decision-making and the thought process getting to that point, if you don't mind sharing that. I think I'm, the, the answer to that is that I'm a, a person with, that is constantly wanting to reinvent myself. I want to stay relevant. I want to be, be better for my clients. I think with technology and the change in the industry, um, it is becoming, in my mind, more important to, to be able to give advice uh, from an independent point of view. And I had a wonderful career with Liberty Life, uh, but, you know, there becomes a, a point uh, that one has got to make a decision, what do you want and how do you see the industry going forward for the next 10, 15 years uh, that, uh, you know, that I can do this uh, work um, as, um, as, a, as an advisor, as a, as a transitionist planner and enjoy my work, you know, because... After so many years in the industry, um, I don't want to use Afrikaans word, you become langtant. Um, so I think one should not be scared to change and to move, but the main reason for me to, to move was to offer my clients, um, you know, a, better, a, a bigger variety of offerings, uh, to be seen as independent uh, and objective 
um, and uh, to be able to incorporate, uh, you know, technology in such a way that, um, you know, that I can spend more time with my clients. I wanted to free myself up to do the things that we, I think we as advisors get to do as, you know, the, the least, and that is to spend time with our clients because we took busy with all the administration and compliance that goes with it. So the support and uh, the technology, the teamwork, uh, and, um, yeah, the offering was, uh, was for me very, was talking to my values and to what I want to offer my clients um, going forward. I think that's so true. I mean, we can spend so much time working on the business that we don't work in the business. We don't get to serve our clients. What has been the most surprising thing that happened through this process? Louis, the fact that I have built so many amazing, uh, you know, amazing relationships with clients has made my process, um, you know, go much faster and smoother. Um, because, you know, it is the the time and the the effort, the trust relationships that uh, that that one builds, that will sustain your practice going forward. Uh, because things change, and you know. People make mistakes, uh, things go wrong, but if you are, uh, if you are, if you walk your talk and if you are there for clients in bad times and in good times and you make these, uh, these huge decisions, which has taken me a lot of time, uh, to find a good fit and, uh, to be able to leave behind what I was used to was a major decision. But I'm so thankful for my clients and the relationships that I have with them uh, that, uh, that, has, uh, that has made this process uh, much easier. I've also learned that um, going through transition is very difficult. So, you know, it's one thing to be able to hold a client's hand when they go through transition. But this time, <laughs> this was myself going through this transition and uh, one realized these uh, these things that uh, that that can go wrong, you know. And you know, I my mind become fractured. I was numb at some point in time, and then by actually practicing what you preach uh, within your, your own uh, changing scenario was for me very meaningful, and it gave me a lot of uh, new understanding and compassion for other clients that is going through transition. So um, it was, uh, it was I, I said to myself, well, you know, I never thought that I was going to study to become a certified financial transitionist, uh, but now I'm practicing it on myself. I think I did, I, I did it to help myself better. <laughs> so, but yeah. What a wonderful is, way <laughs> to, to yeah. upskill and kind of just taste, taste the knowledge. I don't think it's ever an easy thing for clients to go through and just having that awareness of what you're going through and knowing you know, when to make decisions and when not to make decisions, I think probably was a very critical piece. Yeah. I think in life we um, we must be very careful to not, uh, you know, to accept mediocrity because if you accept it, you deserve it. Um, and it, it's on all levels of life. You know, I think one's got to be um, – there's one thing I've learned in, in the COVID time in, in my life and that is that, uh, you know, there's no time – to, to waste uh, and the, the brevity of life has taught me to to uh, be more cognizant and aware of the things which is important to me and to do less of the things which I which is really not serving me and um, so I think uh, you know to, to to say that I want to play the piano or I want to go overseas or I want to do this 
just do it, you know, because tomorrow might be too late. And to live in the now is is uh, something which I have found uh, to be very valuable because there was, you know, if I had to think about tomorrow and all the things that need to be done, uh, I would, um, you know, I they would I, I would I would sit and maybe not do it because <laughs> it's sometimes really overwhelming. And uh, so I hope that answers your question. It does, and it's it's wonderful to hear how you've made this your own, you know, and how you've said it's actually helped you craft your life and what's important to you. Surely this can't be all the financial services industry. What, uh, what role has your family and friends helped you play to develop this? You're talking specifically the transition from, uh, you know, after so many years. Well, in life, it is uh, not uh, what you know, but who you know and who you surround yourself with that uh, and who supports you so my my family my children were very supportive of what i did and uh, my clients were very understanding and excited uh, is excited for me uh, as a matter of fact um you know everybody that i spoke to but you know once again if you have a, a authentic good relationship with your clients over years um and that's where i think trust comes in you know i i I, I talk to them about my ambitions, my vision, uh, you know, how important certain things uh, are for me uh, and the values that I have and the, how I love to be in nature and, you know, how I think that one must focus on living really a, a life uh, that you can, that you leave a legacy with, you know. Uh, what what do people say on, you know, when uh, on your funeral, you know. So these things have always been important to me. So I'm not a, you know, a I would say I'm a philosophical person, but I'm a deep person. Um, so, yes, uh, my clients supported me, my family supported me, uh, my friends supported me. But at the end of the day, you need to go through it yourself. So the buck stops with you. <laughs> but without that support, without support in one's life in any event, I think, you know, one is not an island. And uh, one needs to nurture the the love, you know, the relationship you have with whoever you come across. You know, I always say that when you leave a, a conversation or when you meet a person, you must always make them feel better than before they met with you or had a conversation with you. So, Mariette, that is certainly true of today's conversation, and I want to wish you all the best of luck with this new chapter that you're moving into. If someone wants to reach out to you to maybe talk about the transition is planning or just pick your brain, what's the best place to reach out? Well, they can find me on on my website, uh, you know, which is marietappen.co.za. Uh, uh, all my details are on there and some of the articles I write is on there. Or they, they can yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me on what. Twitter, not that I'm so active on that, but you can find me on LinkedIn and on my website. I think that's the, that's the, that's the quickest way to find me. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Louis. It was uh, great having this conversation. Mm-hmm.